Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Is it all over for Bitcoin? Merrin Somerset Webb adds her two pennies worth to the growing cryptocurrency debate. Following a spate of Christmas profit warnings, are shares in the retail sector bargains or basket cases? And the financial risks of being female. A new report claims that young women today face greater financial insecurity than previous generations. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT Money Editor, bringing you all this week's money news. There goes Bitcoin. That was the opening line of Merrin Somerset Webb's FT column last weekend as she delivered a withering I told you so to investors who had taken a gamble on the cryptocurrency. Having peaked with a value of nearly $20,000 before Christmas, last week's cavernous price drop showed just how volatile this new asset class can be. But is it time to write it off completely? She joins me now on the line. Welcome, Merrin. Hi, Claire. I love it that you call it an asset class. I think that's what the argument is all about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you describe this price bubble as about as obvious a speculative mania as markets have ever seen. Not a fan, then. No, but I do want to say, you know, you're the one who put the headline on it saying I told you so. So I do blame you almost 100% for the hate mail. (laughs) Writing about Bitcoin is nearly as dangerous to someone on social media as writing about Scottish nationalism. So, But I'm recovering from it. But I think that the key thing about it is that, you know, when you look at the price charts, when you look at what it is, when you look at the substance behind the currencies themselves, not the technology behind the currencies, but for currencies, what you're seeing is a very obvious bubble-like movement. And what is happening here, and this is something I've been having an, an argument with about people on my email ever since I wrote the article, what is happening here, or what I think is happening here, is a very clear confusion in people's minds about where the value is. Now, it is very possible, and I've, I've written about this in other places, it's very possible that the technology behind cryptocurrencies, you know, the ideas that you can have a shared ledger technology that allows encrypted data to be swapped easily between individuals or between companies, etc. This could have fantastic effects on our financial system. It could disintermediate stock exchanges. It could disintermediate the way all sorts of different types of information are exchanged between people. Um, My own particular bugbear, as you know, is shareholder democracy. And Mm. it could be something we could use brilliantly to affect that. It could change the way we, we manage our payment systems. It could do all sorts of things. And that is where the value is. The value is not in the currencies themselves. They're simply utilities that would pass through the system. So when 
you see the price of the currencies themselves rising very dramatically, what you're seeing is, I think, a fundamental confusion about where the value in this is. When you can invest, if you are going to be able to invest in the technology itself, that is where there may be value. Now, you may never get to do that because the state is not stupid. The state has always maintained its monopoly over money and how money works. And what gives money its value? There's lots of ways to answer this, but one of the clear ways to answer it is that money gets its value from the fact that it is sanctioned by the state and you may use it to pay your debts and in the main your debt to the state. Now, you can't do that with a Bitcoin. The state does not accept Bitcoins, and if it did accept Bitcoins, it would do so on its own terms. And it can also outlaw a Bitcoin. And you can say, well, no, it can't because it's anonymous and it's uh, you know, separate from government, etc. But what about, and you've written about this in the FT, not you, but other people have, what if you want to get a mortgage? Well, yeah. You have to prove that the money that came out of your cryptocurrency account was come by legally, and only the government can allow you to do that. So the government maintains its control over money, whether you want it to or not. And the only thing that has kept any status as money without being approved by the government, by governments across the world, is gold. And of course, that is still slightly sanctioned because most central banks hold it. And of course, it has many thousands of years behind it. And it has attributes beyond just being money, i.e. beauty and industrial usefulness. So it's a very different kettle of fish. That was a long answer to a short question. Apologies. (laughs) Well, lots of FT readers... I have to say, disagree with your view, as you mentioned. Now, some of my favourites from the online comments were, this has been a small crash of 50%. Let's not talk about the 2,700% rally last year, Mm. says one. Bitcoin will become the new gold, says another, in reference to your comments about gold. And bubbles can be great if you get your timing right. um, Oh, absolutely. Bubbles can be brilliant if you get your timing right. And as I say in the piece, there is every possibility that Bitcoin will now go up by another 200%, 300%, 400%. I don't know. But it's a speculative bubble. It's not representative of where the value is. I mean, that, that's just the way it is. And, uh, you know, it may have gone up 2,000%, 1,700%, however you look at it, but a 50% fall in that still wiped out half of that game. And well, it wiped out everyone who got in off the first 1,000%, which well, is thanks. pretty much everyone. Well, thanks very much there to Meryn Somerset Webb, FT columnist and editor-in-chief of Money Week. You can read her column online now at ft.com slash money. Coming up on The Money Show, the financial risk factors facing young women today. Many big high street names gave their investors a Christmas gift of a profit warning. January's trading statements show a growing number of retailers have been left out in the cold, prompting some analysts to warn of a retail apocalypse in 2018. Joining me to pick through those results is Harriet Russell, the retail expert and sectors editor from The Investor's Chronicle. Welcome, Harriet. Hello. So let's start with who's had a good Christmas on the high street and who has had a bad one. Well, I would certainly say we've had more casualties than we've had sort of star performers. And the two biggest ones have to be funeral provider Dignity and flooring specialist Carpet Right. Both of those stocks last week lost about half of their market value in about two hours worth of trading in the morning. And they finished at a considerable low. Mothercare Debenhams also had big profit warnings about a week prior to that. And even this morning, actually, to bring us right up to date, WH Smith's is down 5% because their high street sales also fell 4% on an underlying basis over Christmas. Far from stationary, bad joke, (laughs) bad joke. But, I mean, 
a big variety of retailers there who've, who've had problems. Now, some people might say with Dignity, the funeral provider, are they a retailer or aren't they? I mean, they have got shops on the high street and they are selling a service. The particular problems that have come from their business aren't because it was a lack of funerals over Christmas, but more because their funerals are much more expensive than rivals. And to step back slightly, that is the the real problem facing all of these giants who have had well-publicised profit woes. Yeah, for all the sort of waves of trading updates that we've had, it really still is a stock picker's market and you have to pay attention to what's going on at individual companies. Now, a slight feather in my cap, I have to admit, I actually advised people to sell Dignity shares last November when they were priced at 1,843p. This morning they're trading at 975 And I really said at the time that what the market had got wrong was that it was pricing that stock as a utility when really it was engaged in a discount war that we've seen with the supermarkets, quite frankly, as sort of the most easy comparison. And it was really going to be a race to the bottom and that we knew that significant price cuts were going to be on the cards this year. And lo and behold, as part of last week's profit warning, Dignity also said that it had to cut prices by up to a quarter this year just to bring it in line with sort of the new market entrants who have really been able to undercut them so far. So, yeah, it's going to be a pretty ugly year for them. And price cutting, of course, um, you know, endemic. So Richard Hyman, who writes the popular Richard Talks retail blog, who I quoted in my column a couple of weeks ago, said the average UK retailer, um, non-food retailer, was on sale for nearly two thirds of the year last year, slashing prices um, to compete largely with online rivals. The A word, Amazon, haven't mentioned them yet, but it really is a big a big pressure. The, the twin um, nightmare of online retailers and price transparency. Yeah, it really is. And it's sort of the death knell now whenever I read in a trading update, heavy discounting or wider promotional activity, because that all that says to me is that our margins are going to be under significant pressure. And thus, so are profits. And of course, investors are paid out of earnings. So it all spells a bit of doom and gloom on our front. But uh, I think what this also shows is actually it takes us a bit further into who actually reported better than expected trading, mm. which was which was next. And a big part of that trading update was that actually they'd sold more product full price than they had in a long, long time. And that's encouraging because, as you say, with the likes of Amazon and even people like ASOS and Boohoo and the sort of fast fashion that's really come up through the roots in the last few years, the pressure on prices has been enormous and the sort of popularity of disposable clothing is, uh, is really taking off. So for Next to be able to convince its customers to pay that sort of middle of the market price for clothes that are not of any sort of remarkable quality, they're good quality, but you know, we're not talking about a Burberry here. It's quite, it's good to see. And of course, what it also does inadvertently is really stack up those margins a bit more. And, and hopefully that'll drive down to the bottom line. So Next, you would say had a good Christmas. Who else is looking rosier? Well, unfortunately, it's all the ones that are very expensive to buy shares in. Um, But, you know, there's a reason. And that's because quality is going to come at a price this year. So the likes of Ted Baker, Jules, JD Sports all had really good Christmas updates. And this morning, actually, although the shares didn't move that much, but uh, Hotel Chocolat also reported um, 15% growth in sales. 
Wow, well, I certainly was um, in their shops using my online discount code this Christmas. So, I mean, from a valuation point of view, um, you, you mentioned there that the the ones who have got the online rights, maybe they're online only, maybe they've just integrated it very well um, with Click and Collect, so the ones where the valuations are really high. What about the, the other end of the table when the valuations are looking quite interestingly? I mean... M&S now, dividend yield of more than 6% um, at the end of last week when you were writing this piece. Yes, I would point people actually to a separate podcast that I've done this week specifically on M&S, which is Bear versus Bull. And uh, and I'm the bull on that one because I don't think M&S is going to fail in the next year. So you might not get a huge sort of recovery in the share price. But if it stays sort of where it is and sort of muddles along, then, yeah, you're going to earn yourself a dividend um, with a yield in excess of 6%. So it's sort of a bit of a why not income stock for me. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend that a great recovery for M&S is going to manifest in, in the next 12 months. Otherwise, I mean, one of my sort of picks for the year in our tips of the year section was was JD Sports. And that's mm. that's got a valuation. Last year, it had a couple of disappointing trading updates, which sort of hurt the share price a little bit. So now where that sort of is lying, the valuation looks quite attractive against the share's own sort of recent history, five year average or so. So, you know, and I think that is a company that's still prime for growth. They've got huge international expansion on the cards. So uh, so that could be a good idea, too. Well, if my children's habits of buying trainers and hoodies or anything to go by, you could be on to a winner. Harriet Russell there from the Investors Chronicle, sectors editor. You can read her full verdict on the fortunes of the retail sector in FT Money this weekend in the FT Weekend newspaper this Saturday or online from Friday at ft.com slash money. Do young women today face a more secure financial future than their mothers or grandmothers? The answer is an emphatic no. The Chartered Insurance Institute has been investigating the risk factors in its report securing the financial future of the next generation. And I'm joined in the FT studio by Jane Portas, the author of the report, who is also a partner at PwC. Welcome, Jane. Hello, Claire. So it's a risky business being a woman, but tell us why young women today face more financial risk than previous generations did. So perhaps I can give you a little bit of context mm. first. Um, as part of this study, when we thought about risk, we we considered risk not only the risk of unexpected events, but also the risks associated with decisions, whether they're passive or active decisions, and also all the influences that stand behind that. And we also considered uh, risk of circumstances, bearing in mind that we all have different backgrounds and uh, come from different pockets of uh, society. And when we reflect back on our mothers and grandmothers and and we reflect on the structures of old, many of those structures that were binding them uh, years ago, also the structures that protected women. So, for example, a permanent job for life and a defined benefit pension, a long marriage uh, and a wider family structure to look after one in times of need. And uh, if those broke down, then uh, there was the welfare state. And of course, uh, in more recent times, uh, we all have more freedom. Uh, There are more opportunities. But along with that comes more risk for all of us. And uh, we all need to take more responsibility in that because of the circumstances and times that we live in. So tell us why young women in particular have got increased risk factors what where does this come from 
So what our study does, we've identified as part of the study a number of key risks that women face. And perhaps if I can uh, highlight just a few of those risks, um, and maybe I'll, I'll give uh, you four, four examples. So first of all, the influences and the decisions uh, leading to vocational training and higher education for women. So if you look at female apprentices, uh, there's a 21% pay differential between male and female apprentices, which is is uh, really due to the different sectors that uh, women and men uh, enter into in uh, taking uh, that training. Then if we move to students and, and graduates, women are excelling uh, at university, uh, but they're typically not studying the courses that are going to lead to the higher paid jobs in the future. And this is, of course, at a time of rising student debt. And alongside that, uh, women not only taking the courses that are leading to perhaps less well-paid jobs, but that is particularly compounded by lower earnings later on as a result of time out, motherhood and caring uh, responsibilities. So those early uh, decisions uh, and influences in life uh, can have uh, later life uh, impacts on financial resilience. I think the second area is the changing relationship structures. And what the data shows us is that the financial dynamics in relationships are such that men and women have quite different uh, pension wealth. Uh, mm. in, and in fact, uh, married men, uh, the median pension wealth of a, of a married man is five times the median pension wealth of a married woman. And alongside this, we have a rise in cohabitation in the young. Uh, 25% of 30 to 34-year-olds are now cohabiting, the average age of having a child uh, for a woman now is age 30. And alongside that, um, there's been a doubling in cohabiting uh, couple families over the last two decades. And of course, one of the uh, challenges there is uh, that cohabitation provides less safety uh, when relationships break up than, than marriage. Uh, but our study identified, uh, and it was a secondary research study, I would add, that 35% of people uh, don't realise that there's a difference. So clearly this ha- can have quite profound effects on women later, as can divorce, where uh, as a result of women uh, largely being the, the lone parent uh, subsequent to relationships breaking down. The third area is really motherhood. And this year we're celebrating 100 years uh, since women uh, achieved the vote. But unfortunately, it still doesn't seem to be possible for women to have both a baby and their own pension. And over the last 25, 30 years, British social attitude has moved on. If you go back to 1984, 49% of people thought that a woman's place is in the home. Now it's uh, 13%. But also now um, 43% of people think that women should work part-time. Now actually what's happening is the gap between a non-work, non-mothers and mothers working is about to close, so women are working more. But actually, perhaps not surprisingly, more women are choosing to work part-time, mm-hmm. 61%. And there's quite a big pay differential between part-time working women and full-time working women of around 30%. But alongside this, whilst there has been a change in attitude, that's not playing out uh, fully in practice. So actually, the amount of time that women spend on childcare... 
uh, has only decreased by 10 minutes or less than 10 minutes a week over the last 15 years. And when you actually look at the amount of hours that women are spending doing housework and uh, caring, 36 hours per week, uh, which is double uh, the amount of uh, their, their male partners, uh, that it's perhaps then not surprising that women are finding it much harder to to uh, fully perform in the workplace and to progress in the workplace. And of course, issues such as the gender pay gap, which we'll hear a lot more about uh, this year, uh, add to that. Um, so motherhood is a, a really challenging time uh, for 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 all women uh, and going forward I think for young women. I suppose the final uh, point that I would make is the point around home ownership. Of course it's uh, it's a well known fact that uh, young people are going to be finding it harder to uh, uh, realise uh, home ownership and where that also becomes uh, really pertinent when you look at the um, at how people are funding their long term care needs uh, currently. 40, they're relying on the property. They're relying on the property. Mm. So 45% of uh, people of uh, of care cost is self-funded and significantly by by property, uh, realising property. So, of course, that's then a real challenge for women when you start to think about later life. And uh, I think it's a well-known fact, and uh, I can talk about that a bit more, uh, that there's a, a, a pensions deficit for women too. So we've talked a lot about the problems, but lastly, I'd like to spend some time talking mm. about the solutions. So, I mean, this is a question of not just what women can do, but what schools, employers, the finance industry, maybe even the government could do mm-hmm. to help. Yeah, so in our report, we've identified what we call six moments that matter in the lives of young British women today, or in actually in the lives of all women uh, today, uh, where we can target interventions. And our report uh, sets forward a, a framework of potential interventions, which will include the insurance and financial planning profession, but also um, really does, for real success, involves collaboration with policymakers, uh, with regulators, with employers, and with those who can influence society uh, itself. I suppose a couple of things. Perhaps one of the the most important aspects is... um, While British social attitude studies show that our attitude to women and attitude to risk has changed, there's definitely much more to do in order to really be able to realise effective change uh, going forward. We do need to improve uh, financial capability of the whole of society, and that's important for women as uh, particularly, but also to be able to support women to achieve and improve uh, financial capability. There's an opportunity to intervene through education systems and are really equipping young people uh, with information and guidance that actually it's natural to talk about risk and finance and that women feel confident to talk about those issues, particularly with their partners, and to have that open open dialogue. I think there are also some key interventions we can make in the workplace, particularly when women enter the workplace, supporting women to establish patterns of uh, pension saving Mm -hmm. uh, and investment and the and that may need different systems and incentives uh, to make that happen. I like your idea of a, a pensions tax credit yeah. for mothers on maternity mm-hmm. leave to That's keep up the pension savings. Well, as I say, I think um, these these changes are quite complex and really are only achieved through a combination of, uh, of the various parties coming together and really taking a holistic uh, approach to that. And I suppose the other couple of areas would be... Um, when couples embark on relationships, 
really uh, establishing frameworks and systems and solutions to supporting people to how to equalize the financial dynamics in relationships when we looked at the median pension wealth of uh, married men and women that's uh 53,000 for a man, 10,000 for a woman. So there's clearly much more that we can do there alongside uh, alongside motherhood. But as I say, in order to for us to really, really uh, realise um, effective and sustainable change, then it does require collaboration of the parties, which is what we're calling for in, in our report. And I think if we really want to achieve financial equality at home and so that actually everyone can have a pension and can have a baby and to really ensure that shared parental leave is uh, accessible to all and supported by all which is obviously a great uh, uh, employer uh, solution to, to some of this then we really do need to be able to tackle this issue where one can have can have both the pension and the baby. Well, thanks very much there to Jane Portis, author of the CII report. You can read my column, Women Face a Long Battle for Financial Equality, which picks up on some of these points on our website now at ft.com slash money. And that contains links to Jane's full report. That's it from The Money Show this week. To get in touch with our team of writers or ask one of our experts to look into a financial dilemma, please email us our address money at ft.com or tweet us at ftmoney. And don't forget you can read all of the articles mentioned and more on our website, ft.com slash money. We will be back next week at the usual time. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.